Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy, and this week I am joined by Oren Katsev. Oren is the president of Condé Nast Entertainment, which is playing a critical role in the turnaround plan for the storied publisher of The New Yorker, Vogue, Vanity Fair, Bon Appetit, and more. We talk about what's working for Condé with its video programming, the scramble to exploit IP, and much more. Hope you enjoy the episode. Oren, welcome back to the podcast. I'm thrilled to be here, Brian. <laughs> okay. Really, this is so, fun. This Second is fun. Time. Well, we'll see, we'll see how you feel in like 30 minutes. <laughs> so you're nine months in. I'm about nine months in. Yeah. All right. What what are your what have been your big priorities nine months in to Condé Nast Entertainment? Uh, a number of priorities. Uh, one of the first was really to get to know the team, to to listen to what's worked, what hasn't, what our challenges have. And that that's within my own team, within C&E itself. Uh, but also across the company. Condé Nast is, uh, as we all know, it's a, it's a big company, uh, very storied history, very, very talented people, very, very talented editors. And one of the first things I wanted to do and one of the first things I did over the first few weeks is sit down with every single editor and go through their point of view, what's worked in video, what hasn't worked in video, what's their vision, uh, what's worked with C&E in general, what are some of their challenges. I didn't want to just come in and, and start gunslinging. Uh, I really wanted to get people's perspective both within my team and outside the team, sales as well, other parts of the company, and really just spend the time to get to know what's worked and what hasn't in mm-hmm. the business. And, and that, 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 I think, is really paid off just from a relationship standpoint, but also in terms of the growth we've seen, I think some of that growth has come because of the close connection between C&E yeah. and, and some of the editorial staff. Explains how, how C&E operates within the business. Sure. So uh, C&E, I think the best way to describe it is, is it, it started off more or less as a spinoff of Condé Nast. It's an independent business that was hatched and sprouted on its own, uh, built with video resources to create video content hand in hand with brands. And as it lives today, it, it still is this uh, sort of independent entity within Condé Nast that now is very thoughtfully and organically being weaved back into the rest of the company. What I mean by that is, as it started as almost this this independent production studio creating content, and again, to the extent possible, hand-in-hand hand with brands, uh, where we've morphed to from there is thinking really holistically and organically about how video lives across the whole company. So how does it live on social? How does it live within O&O? How does it live across everything we do? If we're doing a photo shoot, is there a video opportunity? And, and again, when, when C&E first started, the idea was just can we build – a video business? Can we build a video playbook to success to create great video content? And now, while it's that, it's also the thought of how do we very thoughtfully integrate video into everything we do at the company? Mm-hmm. What is the scale of CNA? Like, I mean, how much video are you creating? We're creating over 3,000 pieces of video content a year. And we're generating uh, a little over a billion views a year. And I know you and I, we've okay. had fun in the past talking about billions of views. And now everyone's talking about billions Makes the mother's Well, you were proud. quoted in the New York Magazine article. Yeah. Uh, they, they called it a dad joke. They you did made. call it a dad joke. Did yeah. that hurt? You know, I let me tell you this <laughs> because Brian, you said you can't you can't deposit views in the bank. Or that's something right. Like that's that. right. Yeah, I took views to the bank, and the teller wouldn't accept them. Turns out they only accept revenue. And then you it's, read the article, and they called it a dad joke. They called it a dad joke, <laughs> and and what what hurt? I'll tell you two things hurt. First of all. I thought I said a lot of really smart things <laughs> in that interview, and uh, and that was one of the things that got captured in the article. But the dad joke thing, you know, I I pride myself on comedy, and I <laughs> I feel like I say a lot of funny things. And when I do say a dad joke, I I know what a dad joke is, okay. and I will I will give myself credit for it. 
that just didn't feel like a good dad. Like if I told my daughter that joke, she she wouldn't appreciate it as a dad joke. <laughs> but beyond the dad jokeness of it, I mean, you're basically saying that you know y- you need to figure out a sustainable model for this video business, which is very important to Condé Nast's right. future. Hundred percent. No pressure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That's what I was getting at. Is that my my goal. As president of Condé Nast Entertainment is not to report to Roger, our CEO, that we are now doing 7 billion views, 90% of them we're not monetizing or not monetizing that well. My job is to grow the business and to be fiscally responsible and to have real business discipline and, and how we grow it. And to me, that means investing in platforms that we can monetize that at a high level, uh, being really efficient on the production side, right? So how do we create efficiencies internally so that we can keep costs low while creating really high quality content? And then how do we generate as much revenue as possible out of every asset that we create? And that's what I get at when I talk about, you know, monetization being important and having real business discipline is how do we take a really thoughtful approach to every single piece of content we create? I have an idea, Warren. Let's do a SWOT analysis of Kanye Nast's video uh, capabilities. can I say this is your show? Can yeah, I say yeah. no? Okay. No, no, no. Like, right. what? Okay. So coming in, what are the strengths? The strengths of uh, of the team. I, I, there's a number of them. I'll, I'll give you a couple. One is that I think we have one of the the uh, most creative teams in the business. I mean, a team that that is really thoughtful when it comes to how uh, data and art go hand in hand together. Uh, being really creative in the concepts that we come up with. And then we also have a really strong uh, and very creative editorial team and some of the best brands in the world. And when you look at a show like 73 Questions or you look at a show like Lie Detector Test on Vanity Fair, that's the perfect combination of really smart concept, access to talent, but not just access, actually doing something very creative with them and tying it very thoughtfully with the Vanity Fair brand. Okay. So you got great brands, you got talented people. What are the weaknesses? Uh, the weakness is, uh, honestly, I, I'd say two things there, too. One is is just a marketplace uh, challenge in general, which is, it is, as we all know, it is very hard to generate a lot of revenue on on a ton of platforms with video. That's why we're focusing on the ones where we think we can actually drive real value and drive real revenue. And then I'd say the, the, the uh, less of a weakness and, and just more of a challenge is that we've got a ton of assets. We have a lot of great brands. And part of what we need to do to do our jobs well is uh, prioritize our efforts on uh, making sure that all the brands have the right resources and, and funds and investments that they that they need to grow. And, and we work hand in hand with them. But but there's just, there's a lot on the plate. There's a lot on the table. Okay. And, so give me opportunities then. I'm going to give you my ideas for threats. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so opportunities. Uh, I, I think our opportunities are massive. I, I think we've only started to scratch the surface of how we really take uh, the, the the brand and, and magazine IP and turn that into something massive. Uh, I think in the same sentence, you can say that, that Condé Nast not only has some of the best brands in the world, but every single week, every month when we publish our magazines, it has some of the best IP the world has ever seen. And in that same sentence, you can also say, we just haven't done a, a great job yet in in taking that IP and giving it legs beyond just print. For, you know, and, and that's no big surprise. And that's no knock on anybody for so long. The magazine was the be-all, end-all for IP. But all, a lot of consolidation in the media space is around a lot of things. But one of them is is the opportunity to, to garner IP and monetize IP and long-form mm-hmm. content. You look at Disney and HBO Max and Netflix and all the rest who are spending $100 billion this year on long-form content. And we've only scratched the surface of that. And, and I think the opportunity to take the New Yorker IP, Wired IP, 
Vanity Fair IP that's already in print, that we already know is great, that we already know audiences love, and go to the marketplace in a big way with that under the Vanity Fair Studios Presents mantra or the mm-hmm. New Yorker Studios Presents. And again, give that IP legs in the same way that, that when someone looks at a magazine and, and what does a magazine really serve? It's two things. It's entertainment and it is a marketing vehicle to drive brand affinity for that brand in the consumer's mind. Mm-hmm. Well, what's digital video? What's podcast? What's, what's TV and film? Same thing. It's entertainment. But if we do our jobs the right way, we will drive uh, uh, the brand affinity. We will build this relationship between consumer and the Vanity Fair brand, between consumer and, and Wired. Mm-hmm. And so, we again, we've only just scratch the surface of that. I would say one of the threats would be that you don't move the views off face or off uh, YouTube because you're not be able to monetize them as well on YouTube and that like you got to build franchises that go on other yep. platforms. Yeah, that I, are highly monetized, right? Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. And and we're doing that in general, right? I, again, I'd go back to one of the reasons why we've invested in YouTube. Uh is that the monetization opportunity existed at the time that, that we did it. When you, when you survey all the platforms and the opportunity for ROI, at the time that we were investing in, in creating and promoting content or programming content to YouTube, that's been the platform that you can monetize the best. But it isn't the be-all, end-all. And as you look at, at, at some of the things we're doing, whether it's Bon Appetit and, and really starting to look at the opportunities within OTT and Linear, or you know, earlier this year, we announced that we're a global company. There's now the opportunity to create content globally mm-hmm. and to monetize it outside the U.S. We get a lot of our views on YouTube are outside the U.S. And we're opening the door now to monetize those. Uh, so I'm with you. Mm-hmm. As, as with any publisher, it doesn't make sense to focus only on one or two platforms. We've got to create a model that we can monetize across several. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. So which, which of the franchises that you would highlight as, you know, success cases? Because, I mean, you're, you're building franchises. The, day, the days of building one-off videos seem to be over. Yeah, I, I don't really like the idea of just one-off hits or viral hits yeah. and then chasing views on a single piece of content. I, 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 for us to do our jobs right, we've got to create franchises that are repeatable, that people come back to, that they keep watching, that they expect, that they become fans of. So the, the uh, I'll give you two. The, the the sort of more obvious one is a show like 73 Questions on Vogue. That, that's one we've had for over two years. It's a uh, really user-friendly format. It's a fun 73-question interview, uh, typically with the person who's on the cover of Vogue. Uh, we have great access to them. Uh, now the show has become a thing where there's talent and celebrities who want to be on the show. They're excited mm-hmm. when they get their opportunity. And audiences love it. You know, If you look at, at the ones we've published this year, they'll do anywhere from a couple million views to 20 million plus. Mostly YouTube. Mostly YouTube, but on O&O as well. So yeah. we run it on Vogue.com. We'll run some of them on Facebook. Uh, is something like this profitable? It is, yeah. The, that, the, when, when you, the franchises we have that I would consider our best, we are making money on every single video that we create. Okay. Uh, another example of exactly that would be a show like Gourmet Makes on Bon Appetit. And that's a, a slightly different model we have in Bon Appetit where we have been grooming our own internal talent. Brad Leone, Claire Saffitz. Uh, that's talent that started in the test kitchen. Uh, it's talent that our audience, both on, within print, within bonappetit.com, on YouTube, uh, on our uh, channel on Roku and, and Apple and so on, our audiences are flocking to see that talent across all the content we create. And in the case of Gourmet Makes, that's a, a show with, with Claire. And that show does about 7 million views per episode. And, and the watch time is through the roof. We, as, as 
over the life cycle of that show, we've it's now about forty to forty-five minutes long, and we're mm-hmm. getting enormous engagement rates. On and that's it. profitable. And that is profitable. It okay. is, yeah. And and that's also opening the door for us to create Bon Appetit content across all platforms because again, the audience is following that talent and our programming everywhere we take it. It's almost like The Office meets Sports Center meets food. But it seems like for the ambitions of video within content ads, because I mean, in the in the the plan, I mean, video, I. I mean, you got to really knock the cover off the ball, Warren. I yeah. Gotta be, I got to be honest with you. No doubt. We're, go, we're, we're going for a grand slam. But, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but you got to move off YouTube, right? I mean, for this stuff to work. Yeah. I, I would, Monetarily. But, yeah, yeah, for 100%. No, I, and I wouldn't say move off. I would say okay. enhance and grow beyond YouTube. I, absolutely. I, I would not sit here today saying that our long-term strategy is is YouTube alone. I am sitting here, though, saying that part of why I think we've been successful where maybe others haven't is because YouTube has presented an opportunity to monetize yeah. at a pretty high level. Uh, and while others were chasing views or chasing Facebook as an opportunity and not monetizing it that well, that you, some have suffered because of that. So that's all I'm saying here. But 100%, the... the so you're out there, you're selling programming to the, the Quibis and, and... We are, yeah, to, to Quibi, to Netflix, to HBO Max. We have, uh, I think we've sold six shows to Netflix. We had two of Netflix's most binge-watched shows last year in uh, Last Chance U and Fastest Car. Last Chance U just got greenlit for season five. They also just, uh, Netflix just greenlit a spinoff to do Last Chance U basketball. Uh, so we're in that we're in that market selling shows to, yeah. to all the big platforms. Uh, and they don't have to be attached to the, the titles. They don't. M- many of them are. So Last Chance U is based on a GQ article. Uh, the movie The Old Man and the Gun, which was the Robert Redford film, uh, that was our film that was based on a New Yorker article. But, you know, what ends up happening in that business is whether you're Condé Nast or whether you're J.J. Abrams, there are things that you create that are created by J.J. or created by GQ. And then just by virtue of creating wins in the marketplace, you also get opportunities that you didn't create from scratch that come to you because you've built a name for yourself. And that's what's happened to us in the L.A. Mm-hmm. market now is that we are Fastest Car, for example, was a show concept that my development team in L.A. came up with on their own. And they're able to develop it because we established a good relationship with Netflix. Right. But it's not like looking at like Vogue and being like, okay, well, what's our, what's our Vogue video, like franchise series or ideas? That's right. It, 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 it can be. I mean, I, yeah. I, do see, I do see a world where there's a sort of Vogue studio type thing where we're doing fashion-related documentaries and, and we're doing short and long-form programming that could live on Disney Plus or Netflix or other platforms, and it's under the, the Vogue Studios shingle as opposed to the Condé Nast Entertainment shingle, and that ultimately helps build brand affinity and, and consumer interest in the brand. So I can see a, a day where that does happen. Yeah. Which of the titles do you see having... Um the most potential to um, flex in a video? I, I think a lot of them do for various reasons. All, all, every brand has its sort of go-to-market edge that is unique to them. But in terms of, you know, if I were just to pick, let's say, you know, three or four that I think when you look at the opportunity from IP and print to digital video to podcast to TV film to really building franchises. So franchises, again, and I, by the way, I think this is a video opportunity as well, turning video series we have into opportunities for merchandise and events. And, and again, everything under the sun, under the franchise that we create, I, I think Wired's a great example. I think there's, in general, just a lot of demand for tech, sci-fi uh, content today. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's also ripe for a lot of ancillary revenue that, that can come out of it. Uh, 
I, I think Bon Appetit is already on its way to doing that. We have over 250 hours of Bon Appetit content today. That's only going to continue to grow. We have talent that, that again, that our audiences love. And, and uh, so I think there's uh, huge room for continued growth there. Uh, and then you take a, a brand like The New Yorker that has, again, some of the best IP in the world, already some successful podcasts, and already some film wins. I mentioned The Old Man and the Gun. We had another film earlier this year called Mosul, which debuted at the Toronto Film Festival mm-hmm. and the Venice Film Festival based on a New Yorker article. Uh, so I, I think those are three of many brands that, uh, to me, will should have a ton of success, not only in digital video, but just in growing video in general. I mean, is the vision that within five years it's more of a video-first company than like a magazine company? I wouldn't necessarily say video first. I, w- I would say more video-friendly, more video-based opportunities. And if I just go back to the analogy I made of you know, what has print served in, in, in general? Uh, print's entertainment, and it's this media vehicle, and that the magazine stands for a, a lot when it comes to consumer interest and affinity. And again, for so long, it was just the magazine. And when I look at what video represents, it, it's it's an, an additional opportunity to reach an audience. It, it enhances the print. It doesn't replace print. It doesn't suppress print. It becomes a big vehicle for reaching our audience, driving monetization, adding consumer interest, adding audience to everything we do. So not necessarily the lead or the only, but a mm-hmm. real enhancement to everything we do with the great IP we have. Okay. Which platforms are you finding promising right now? Depending again on the brand, we've we've seen pretty good success with Bon Appetit, with, with uh, some of the stuff we've done on, uh, on Roku, on, on Amazon Fire, on, on Apple TV. I think there's a real opportunity for us to expand that to, to uh, more of, let's say, like a 24-7 channel. We just recently announced a deal with, uh, or signed a deal with Samsung TV to have a Bon Appetit-specific channel. So I think there's real opportunity there. We've also, just on, on our own .com, we've seen some, some pretty decent growth year over year, and we're seeing that, that there's an audience not only for uh, the brands in general, but for the video content that, that we're putting on there. Uh, and then, you know, in, in general, when you look at some of the other kind of more major platforms, we've seen decent success on Snap. We've seen growth in general from an audience standpoint on Instagram. I think Instagram in general just being very high quality, both video and, and, and photo ties in very nicely to our brand ethos and brand voice. And and what I'd say in, in general about our efforts and hopes on Instagram moving forward is just monetizing it at a higher level. We're seeing the audience yeah. there. And as we create more and more video for Instagram, the audience is growing. Now it's a matter of how do we monetize mm-hmm. it more? How about Facebook? Facebook is, is uh, you know, we're, we continue to experiment and, and continue to test. <laughs> so. I'd stop short of saying that we're investing heavily in it. I'll, I'll invest heavily in a platform that shows me that that I can drive real ROI and, and real monetization. And we just haven't yeah. seen it there yet. I, I, I'm very truthful with them about it too. I would love to do more on Facebook if, if, if they can show me that there's an audience, which I, I think there is. We've seen, when we have tested, we've seen millions of views on content. But again, th- those views are empty calories if I can't monetize them. Yeah, so I mean, the focus is, I mean, a lot of, a lot of publishers now, it's like the, the monetization has to, has to be there immediately. It, it does. And and the other thing I'd say there is that we have a really highly successful sales team when it comes to selling video at Condé Part of why we're doing so well on YouTube is that our sales team has a great relationship with advertisers and is selling directly into our content. We're doing that on O&O. We're doing that on OTT. And we currently can't do that on Facebook. And, and that 
to some extent becomes a bit of a challenge for us in the marketplace when we're building audience. If we were to build an audience and, and invest a ton of resources into putting video on Facebook, but not being able to monetize it ourselves, that it, it, there's some potential channel conflict that's not ideal for yeah. us. So have any of these, have you built any of these franchises to where, you know, there's there's events or there's merchandise or that you're actually making money in a bunch of different ways beyond the, the IP and the ads? It's in the roadmap. Uh, the closest we have to that now would go back to, to Bon Appetit. And again, I, I think the model there is getting fans not only the content, but but of the brand and, and of the, the, the people and the talent. And when we have had events, uh, let's say cooking events that, that, Brad has led where he'll, let's say, show you how to make sauerkraut. We've sold tickets to that event and, and it's always been sold out. We've sold merch like T-shirts with Brad and Claire or Bon Appetit on it. And that's done. OK, we've seen waves and patches of success in revenue outside of video. And that's what's just caused us to say, you know, there's a real opportunity here that we're going to invest in a little bit more heavily in 2020. But I, I, th- that, that is the end game for us in general. When you look at how we're going to be creating content in 2020 and beyond. It's not just about the conversion of, of IP into content. It's mm-hmm. not just about what talent can we get to make great shows with. It's really going to be putting a lot of our content through the lens of what makes a great franchise. And by franchise, that means what can be a good podcast, what can be good TV and film, what can be good in merch and events, and really prioritizing our efforts and video across mm-hmm. franchises. Who do you think of the market has done a good job of that? I, you know, the, the, as as you ask that, I'll, I'll go with with the the very first company that came to mind, which is Complex. Uh, I I think their shining example is the Hot Ones show. Yeah. Uh, right. It's a it's a fun show. It's an entertaining show. Uh, it's now become a franchise. People look for. They know the format. It's familiar. Uh, I, saw, I, and, I was just in L.A. and there was a billboard on Sunset. For, you see, that's right. They've got the billboards. Uh, <laughs> they've got the the subway billboards. Uh, and they're selling, I don't know what the latest, sta- I feel like the stack goes up with every interview they do, but I, the last <laughs> I heard was it was at least over $10 million yeah. in hot sauce sales, yeah. which is incredible. But it makes sense, right? You have a, a, a video people love, you have a format that lends itself to e-commerce, and e-commerce becomes just a, a natural part of the whole video process. So uh, I give them credit for that. Okay, so final thing, goals for 2020. Uh, so many, Brian, so many goals, but uh, uh, in no particular order. One is, again, we've talked about being a global company. And and so one of the things uh, that I'm focused on is how do we you know, truly integrate the right way? How do we think about formats that are global? And and how do we scale globally in a smart and efficient way? So, so that's one. Uh, two is to tie into what we talked about earlier. It's, it, it's about investing in the right platforms and, and really taking our business beyond uh, just YouTube where there are monetization opportunities and, and this ties in somewhat closer to three, which is that I think there are far bigger traditional and TV and film opportunities for us as well. Uh, I think there are podcast opportunities for us as well. And we're going to be investing in the creation of more original podcasts for our brands in 2020. And then uh, I can't remember if I'm at four or five now, but somewhere between four and five is uh, I think that developing more and more uh, in-house talent is important. We've seen great success in Bon Appetit. There's a, a, a playbook there that I want to develop across some of our other brands that um, can help build audience and help build franchise opportunities by investing in-house in our talent. Okay. Oren, thanks so much. Brian, thank you. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always like to hear from you too. You can always uh, tweet at me. I am at BMRC on Twitter or email me. I am brian at digiday.com. Thanks again to Pierre Bianame, who is our producer. 